welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week, I will... Each week. Yeah. Um, once upon a time, I might have been able to say that, but uh, quite frankly, uh, what, what should I say now? Once uh, once every six months? Um, it feels like once every couple of years. Anyway, um, the, the whole point of the Stephen King cast is, I guess... Every now and then, I hop on the microphone to, at this point, discuss something about Stephen King. It started out as a deep dive analysis into the works of Stephen King and the chronological order of publication, uh, but I've long since uh, completed that task. And now, uh, whenever something Stephen King related uh, hits the news, I attempt to discuss it. Uh, but life with a three-year-old uh, does not make podcasting uh, very easy. For me, so nothing against my three-year-old. I love her to death, um, but uh, man, she does not like bedtime right now, and that's really cutting into mine and yours, our podcasting time together. But with that said, um, w- without further delay, I am back uh, for at least a couple minutes today while I record this. I'll probably have to squeeze in some time at another point to to record the the rest of this episode, but I'm trying to get an episode out. I have been trying to get an episode out for a while now, but here we are back together again at last to talk about a bunch of stuff Uh, because since I've last recorded, we have seen uh, the trailer for It Chapter 2, Doctor Sleep, um, and I want to discuss Nosferatu. Uh, so there's been a lot of stuff that I, I have been meaning to talk about and don't think that I, I haven't tried to get episodes out on these subjects, but like I said, I just haven't been able to. But I'm here now to talk about all of that stuff, um, and I'm going to start off actually by reading some iTunes reviews. So remember guys, I can't do this without you, and uh, if you have a few moments on your hands, a review of uh, the Stephen King cast would really, really, really go a long way. Up first, we have, where do we go? Uh, We have Minimum Joseph, who wrote the Essential Stephen King podcast, five stars. And the Essential Joseph writes, or Minimum Joseph writes, If you are a Stephen King fan, then this is the podcast for you. Our host, Constant Reader, offers wonderful insight, in-depth analysis, and thoughtful criticism of Stephen King's body of work. There are also some really great bonus episodes devoted to the writing of Stephen King's son, Joe Hill. So thank you, Minimum Joseph, and today I will actually be discussing uh, a live live, uh, action adaptation of one of Joe Hill's works. So look forward to that later in this episode. Then we have uh, Tigger JRH, who writes, new listener loving it. Again, five stars. I just started listening to podcasts recently and found this one and thought I would give it a try. This is very well done, and he brings a lot of insight into books and adaptations. He even gives recommendations from time to time of other books, movies, and shows that we might like if we like X. Anyone who loves Stephen King will enjoy this. I certainly hope so, and thank you, Tigger uh, JRH. Um, And then we have... Uh, sorry, my computer just froze a little bit. Um, then we have Mostly Fantasy, who writes new to podcasts, five stars. Relatively new to podcasts, I discovered the Stephen King cast while driving back and forth from Illinois to Wisconsin every week. Great content with tie-ins to similar authors, some new to me, as well as King's son, Joe Hill, who I started just recently reading as well. Can't say enough good things about the show. All around pleasure to listen to with great insights. On a side note, I also appreciate the sound quality and enunciation, especially after trying to listen to some casts that were so garbled it hurt to try to listen 
to. Really professionally done. Um, keep up the good work. I look forward to more content, and we'll have to check out the Twin Peaks reviews, Tom Most. Tom, thank you so much. And Tom did just mention my other podcast, um, which is Hanging with Agent Cooper, a Twin Peaks podcast, specifically a podcast about season three of uh, Twin Peaks Return, which aired in uh, the summer of 2017. So if you're a fan of Twin Peaks, uh, then you can check out that podcast by myself as well. And then we have Laws Yes, writes DHM72. I'm new to your podcast and I've been binging from the start. I've always been a Stephen King fan and read all of his early classics as a teenager. I'm 46 now. I wanted to start rereading his books again. I enjoy your perspective and reviews. Keep up the good work. So thank you, DHM72. Um, And then we have Don't Let Anything Let You Down. Um, Great and all. I really love to hear more from the Pet Cemetery episode, but still a great podcast. Um, And I do 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 the Pet Cemetery podcast it, I, I assume it's probably the latest um, episode, um, which I uh, I don't know if I ever go back to the well of Pet Cemetery, the movie, uh, the new one. Uh, maybe I'll go into a little bit more detail, um, but I don't really foresee myself going back to that particular movie anyway. So that's uh, that's that. So what else do we got? I think that there is another review. Yes, from Woohoot, which is the real deal. Five stars. If you want to listen to a podcast that covers all things King with the consideration that it deserves, this is it. This podcast has everything the hardcore constant reader could want in a cast done by a person who obviously does it for the love of King. If you love King, this podcast is a must listen. Start on cast number one and enjoy it from there. So thanks everybody that uh, that wrote in like I said, I can't do it without you. Um, and if you have a few minutes on your hands, feel free to leave a review on iTunes. So, um, okay. Uh, up next, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read uh, some listener emails that I have received. And if you want to write in, feel free to do so at Stephen Kingcast at Yahoo. Okay, uh, so first we have Andrew who writes, Hi there. I've just finished reading Pet Cemetery, and what an incredible book. It's definitely among my top favorites. Anyway, I understand that Stephen King often references his own literary works, and it got me wondering in Pet Cemetery if Judd has The Shining. There were numerous occasions when Lewis says that Judd seems to know exactly what he was thinking. For instance, the night before Gage was buried, Judd comforted, um, conf- confronted Lewis about taking the boy up to the Micmac burial ground. I've been a fan of Stephen King for years, and I've just discovered this podcast. Wow, I must say you do an excellent job with each deep dive of these incredible novels, and I look forward to each new podcast. Hey-ho, let's go. Andrew. Andrew, um, I never thought of that specifically. Uh, It's definitely a possibility, and that's a really, really uh, keen insight. Um, I mean, if you look through all of the works of Stephen King, people often have hunches and they have bad feelings about things. So on some level, um, everyone might have uh, the, the Shining to some degree. And it's just maybe in the cases of, of Danny or Doc Holleran, uh, The Shining is just turned up a little bit more. You know, as we see in the Dark Tower novels, there are characters that have what's called the touch, which is The Shining. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I think that that's, that's, I think you're onto something. I think that it, 
it, it goes by many names, but I think that, that that ability does exist within a lot of the characters of the Stephen King universe. Then Craig writes, Hello, Constant Reader. I've been listening to your podcast for a few years now. Once I finish one of King's books, I follow up by listening to your episode about the book. I only have two close friends that read as much as I do, so I greatly appreciate the little King online community that you have created. What I want to discuss with you is The Dark Tower. I was going through a very rough patch in my life when I started reading again after college. The first books I picked up were The Stand and It. A buddy of mine suggested that the next read be The Dark Tower series. I don't mean to sound dramatic by saying it changed my life, but it did. I was seriously depressed to the point I started going to therapy. Coincidentally, at this time, I started reading The Dark Tower series. Traveling to Midworld helped me escape from the depression of my own life. I owe King and you a great debt for helping me through a really rough stretch in my life. Uh, Sorry that this email is so long, but I felt the need to say thank you for what you do. I always have at least one Dark Tower book on my nightstand, no matter what else I'm reading at the time. I can't explain it, but diving back into Midworld always relieves my anxiety and stress. It holds a very special place in my heart. Roland's Cotet feels like my close friends that are just waiting for me to jump back into their adventures. I'm aware that the Amazon series, um, that the Amazon series you're not very excited for. I totally understand your reservations because of the order they're doing the books. I'm just happy to get another adaptation in my lifetime. I love Wizard and Glass, so I hope that they do it right. I think that it works perfectly in book form to wait until the fourth book to explain why Roland is the way that he is. But do you think it would work in a TV series to do three seasons, then the fourth be all flashback? I'm just trying to rationalize it in my head why I would do Wizard and Glass first. Anyway, sorry for the long-winded email. Long days and pleasant nights. Craig, uh, a couple things. One, thank you for for thanking me, uh, but you don't have to because that's... I, you making the decision to help yourself, that's, you should be thanking yourself and you should be giving yourself all the credit for, for taking that step. Um, because I, I really, really have to give it to, to anyone that says, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, be the best me and I'm going to take care of, you know, what might be plaguing you. So that's, thank you for acknowledging, you know, some small part that I had, but I, I do want to stress that it was a really small part and you did all of the heavy lifting and congratulations on that. Um, and I think that Stephen King would be uh, very touched at this email because this is what it's all about for him, right? He says that books are extremely poor. What's the, there's a specific quote. Uh, books are a uniquely portable magic. That's what it is. And so that is what the Dark Tower series functioned for you. It was portable magic, um, and which is very appropriate considering that it is a series that involves magic doors. So to, to know that you were able to open up those doors and slip inside a place that brought you some measure of comfort, I think that that is the whole point of, of reading, that we are able to slip into worlds um, that that exist in a shared fictionalized space for our collective uh, conscious. Um, it's really amazing that it truly is a, a form of magic that we are able to all share something that did not exist before the magician uh, willed it into into being. And then now we're all able to, to be a part of it. That's really, really cool. And I'm, I'm glad to know that the Dark Tower provided some measure of relief for you. Um, with the Amazon series, look, I, I am still burned by how bad the movie was. I don't agree with the decision to go with Wizard and Glass. 
um, were not even just Wizard and Glass, but the 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 flashback scenes from the the, the Gunslinger and the the Wizard and Glass uh, narrative. Um, again, I, I just think that it's not the right decision because. I feel that what makes Wizard and Glass work as much as it does is it, it, it contextualizes who Roland is as we already know him. He has been cemented as the gunslinger. Don't forget then when we meet Roland, he is not mentioned as Roland for over a hundred pages, I believe. He is the gunslinger. He has Consider it an evolution, consider it a devolution, consider it um, whatever it is. He has ascended or descended into the, uh, a mythic status, right? Where, where his personality has been sacrificed. His, who he ha- is and who he could be as a person has been sacrificed for his role to be the gunslinger on his quest to save the Dark Tower. And... The character in Wizard and Glass is Roland. He is not yet that gunslinger. It shows how this particular point in his journey helps shape that and helps really put him on that path. I just think that it's a disservice to tell the story chronologically in that regard. Um, much in the way that I think that it, it's like if we had never gotten Star Wars, let's just say the Star Wars saga was originally in book form and then they decided to adapt it um and the books had come out in the same chronological order as as the movies had so if it began with a new hope that was the first book that anyone read right and then we got a new hope we got the empire strikes back and then we got return of the jedi and then we got a phantom menace and we got clone wars and we got revenge of the sith let's just say that that happened except it only happened in book form and then they decided to make a tv series on it i would argue that you can make it changes for an adaptation that's fine but in terms of adapting the narrative i would argue that it's probably best to start the way that the books started which was with a new hope right i think that it would be a wrong decision to start to start at the technical beginning with a phantom menace because that trilogy is helped shaped by our understanding of the original trilogy much like wizard and glass is shaped knowing the tragedy of who Roland is and the fact that once upon a time he was this passionate young man who whose capacity for love ultimately broke him. Uh, that's a trad like so like who Roland is in the present, right, informs who Roland was in the past for us as readers. And watching this doomed fate occur with him um, in the flashback scenes. That's what makes the book work as well as it does. And uh, I don't think that any... Uh, get excited. Sure, fine. Get excited. I don't think that anybody really wants to see a 16-year-old Roland, though. You know? I, that, and to know if you're going to do it chronologically, is this 16-year-old going to be the right character for the job? I think that if this is successful and they do tell this part of the story, I think the best thing that they can do then is do something that the crown does 
and then age up the character by casting a new actor. Um, I think that that would be a bold decision. I think that would be a wise choice. And that is something that I hope. So that also means that I hope that this show is successful enough for that to continue and for that to happen. Now, look, with all that said, with my reservations about the existence of this show, all the set photos that I've seen look pretty dope. All right. They, it looks like something that you would see out of Midworld. The costuming looks what you would expect for these characters to be wearing. It just looks cool. The cast itself is starting to really shape up in cool ways. Um, can't remember his name, but he played uh, Bronn on Game of Thrones. I believe he's playing Steven, which is great. Uh, we have Michael Rooker joining the cast, and I my bet is that he's playing Court. Um, so there's some cool names attached to this that I'm pretty excited for. Um, it kind of legitimizes it in a way that I hadn't expected. And Amazon doesn't want a dud. All right? Amazon doesn't... It, it, with how high stakes these streaming media wars are right now, uh, Amazon does not want a dud. And for them to pick up the pieces of this bruised, broken, and abused IP so quickly after the 2017 debacle. I, I, I don't know. Maybe they really do believe that they have something there. Um, so I hope so. I, I really do hope so. I hope that it works out, and I hope that I'm wrong about my reservations um, because no one wants a successful Dark Tower series uh, that I can watch every week or binge more than me. So I really hope that it works. I hope that it works. I have my doubts, but I hope that it works. And then Tom writes, hello. I've become a recent listener and I love the podcast. I just left a review. I left a review on iTunes. Thank you so much. Great work. I've been a Stephen King fan since I first stumbled across Night Shift my freshman year in college, and I've been hooked ever since. I've also been a Joe Hill fan, unknowingly that he was Stephen King's son since Lock and Key and the Cape graphic novels and the horns movie and have been purchasing reading his novels collections based on your reviews and recommendations i'm a sculptor by trade and one of the first digital sculpts 3d prints i did was of the arachna lobster from the mist after getting a good screen grab when it gets ollie in the parking lot i thought you might enjoy some pics of it and other works can be seen on my website um so everyone head over to www.mostlyfantasy.com um from tom and i read tom's uh, itunes review in uh earlier in this episode um the the pics i can't um share them obviously this is a podcast uh but they look awesome and this is really cool that we got to um that that, that i got an email from someone that actually was uh part of the, the process of one of stephen king's best adaptations so that is fantastic but everyone yeah head on over to mostlyfantasy.com and and support uh, tom's work thank you tom then cosmo writes hey cr i've begun to go through king's uh works chronologically and have arrived at different seasons i spent the day reading rita hayworth and the shawshank redemption and going back in your catalog to check out your analysis something occurred to me andy dufresne and andy dean could be very likely twinners they both carve little totems Andy's rock chess pieces and Andy's and Eddie's whittling and are intimately involved with types of portals. They are both on triumphant redemptive paths. It is referred in the novella that Dufresne gave up drinking due to something of a problem with alcohol, whereas Eddie kicks heroin in the second Dark Tower novel. Couple of portal hoppers a la King. 
That would make for an interesting encounter of the minds if Eddie and Andy were to find each other on some level of the tower. Any thoughts on this? Cosmo. P.S. In listening to your analysis for the Shawshank Redemption film, um, your mom, my mom suggests I get too deep in my analyses. I cordially disagree. I love the depth and insight you bring to the works of not only King, but to the work of Joe Hill, Jonathan Mayberry, and all the Twin Peaks stuff. I dig your format big, big. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Cosmo. Uh, thank you. Um... Yeah, that's uh, I. I never would have thought about Andy and Eddie um, ever interacting. That's a really cool idea, though. It's 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 really really neat. Um, I, and I love the idea of of thinking about character uh, king characters bouncing off of one another. So that's it's awesome, great. Um, and Cheryl writes, "Hi there. This may be lengthy, but I apologize up front." No worries, Cheryl. Bring it on. Uh, well, I'm pretty new to listening to podcasts, period. My son likes them, though, so I decided one day just to look around on iTunes to see if I could find anything I would remotely like listening to. I typed in Stephen King, and there you were. So I downloaded the first few episodes. I'm kind of anal about listening, reading, watching things in order. So yes, it's 2019, and I now just started listening to your podcast from 2014. Well, I'm hooked. I listen on my way to and from work, so I can listen to about an episode a day, give or take. I've been thinking about writing for some time now, but after today's episode, I knew it had to be today. Okay, so first of all, the book I read um, of Mr. King's was Eyes of the Dragon. I was 12 years old and going to a uh, DOD school, Department of Defense, in Rota, Spain. My father was stationed there. He did 20 years in the Navy. Like many other English classes the world over, we had to write book reports. The difference here was that we got to read just about anything we wanted. Some kid told me about this book. I checked it out of the school library, and the rest is history. That was in 1988. I, of course, knew who Stephen King was. I had just never read anything of his. No, but I had seen several of the movies by then, so I knew who he was. It holds a special place in my heart, but I have to say that my all-time favorite book of his has got to be The Stand. Well, so far, at least. So the episode I listened to today was the one on The Running Man, the movie. I was laughing so hard during parts of this podcast. It was fabulous. I love how you said this isn't a good movie. It's a great movie and a terrible movie at the beginning. Um, thank you. I really enjoyed uh, watching that movie again for the purposes of this podcast. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it sums it up. That sums, a lot of, sums up a lot of 80s movies. You can make a ton of queso with all the cheese from 80s movies, but being a product of the 80s, I don't mind. I remember reading the story after having seen the movie and was like, the only things that are the same between the book and the movie is the names of the two main characters and that Ben is in a game, which infuriated me at the time. I'm over it now. I remember liking the book and I've always liked the movie. I have skipped ahead and have downloaded your newest podcasts just because I want to know what you thought of the Pet Cemetery remake and a few of the new other new things. It stresses me out a bit, but I'll get over it. I remember I can always go back where I was and keep listening to the older stuff. And yes, I listen to podcasts of books that I haven't read yet. It's okay. By the time I'll read it, I'll forget the spoilers. I'm just enjoying listening to your breakdown of the books and movies. I don't always agree, but I understand where you're coming from. Case in point, Firestar of the movie. I get where you're coming from, I do. However, it's a favorite of mine. I saw it when I was young, and I loved it then. I still love it, as bad as it is. But don't we all have our guilty pleasures? Those books, movies, bands that no one admits to liking, so you feel like a fool because you do. Yeah, no, uh, Cheryl, that's totally dead on. Uh, thank you. I, um... I uh, just saw Godzilla, King of the Monsters last week, um, and this is a movie that I have been waiting for my entire life. Uh, every trailer um, 
uh, at the very least brought tears to my eyes at the most made me openly weep uh i have been a lifelong godzilla fan uh and i am a unapologetic fan of the 2014 legendary godzilla so i was pumped and primed and ready for godzilla king of the monsters i'm a big michael doherty fan i liked I uh, love Trick or Treat. It's my favorite Halloween movie. Um, Krampus is now a must-watch around Christmas time. Uh, so to know that he, a major childhood Godzilla fan himself, was going to be making a Godzilla movie, uh, I was ready and ready to go for the ride. I, I know that the reviews weren't great for the movie, and yeah, I can from a cerebral standpoint, there are fundamental flaws within the movie. Um, whether it be just too many human characters and I don't mind the human characters, but maybe there's like four too many, um, you know, so it, it just kind of flies through scenes without really dwelling in them for very long. I I don't know the the jokes aren't that good. Um, but I, I, I didn't care. I didn't care about any of that. I just liked the movie, you know, I, I was just predisposed to like the movie. And from an emotional standpoint, it worked with me. Uh, I could go into much more detail about why it worked and how it felt very authentic to what Godzilla is, what Godzilla movies are. Uh, I mean, here's the thing about Toho Godzilla movies. They're not good. I love them. I love them. They were a part of my childhood. Had they not been a part of my childhood, if I didn't have a preference for giant monsters, if I didn't get gleeful when, you know, bad special effects and, and men in suits were, are fighting each other over little, uh, um, you know, miniaturized cities, I, then I wouldn't like the movies. And that's the that's the case. This just felt like a big budget version of what those movies were. Um, I love a lot of the stuff that's in this movie. It's, there's so many crazy things that are occurring that just makes me happy. Um, so I totally get what you're saying about Firestar of the movie. I totally get it. Um, I can relate to that. I just related to that, um, and I understand. And you know, I someone is mad. Um, about how how they felt that their time was wasted in Godzilla King of the Monsters. I can't disagree with that. I I can only say I totally get where you're coming from. But just my experience is I liked it. Um, I unapologetically liked it. Okay. Um, And then on a final note, I am just like most Stephen King fans when someone says, ew, but he's so scary, and I have to make sure that I don't roll my eyes. I then proceed to ask if they like Shawshank and Stand By Me and The Green Mile, which of course everybody does. And then I get to stand up for Mr. King and say, well, that's Stephen King. And then they're shocked. And then I tell them that while he does have rabid dogs and scary clowns and whatnot, often the monster in the book is humanity and what we do to each other. So my final, final note, great job on your podcasts. I only have one suggestion. If others like me listen in their car, when you reference other books or movies or authors or whatnot, by the time I get to work or home, I can't remember the names or titles. Is there any way you could do some lists of these things that you reference in your podcasts? You and your friends just referenced a bunch of stuff on the, wow, 
on the Halloween one in 2014. Um, I will have to listen again to get all that. Just a suggestion. Um, keep up the amazing work. Sorry this was so long, Cheryl. Don't apologize, Cheryl. This was a great email, um, and it's like, as I'm recording this, um, it is June of 2019, and Cheryl and uh, some others are listening to, oh my God, podcasts that were recorded in August and September and October of 2014. Five years. Five years, guys, have gone by since I started this podcast. Um, I'm going to try and, and, and do a, a five-year retrospective look on the anniversary of the Stephen King cast um, because it's been a wild five years. Personally, for me, uh, for our country, for the world, for Stephen King, for the renaissance of Stephen King, um, for it's just been a wild five years. And uh, I would love to do a retrospective look. So look forward to that this August. Um, so that's crazy. Um, so no, Cheryl, I've never thought about actually like categorizing or cataloging any of that. Um, I am sorry. I, you know, I tweet out, um, you know, information and references and stuff that I like. And I'll, every now and then I'll put something on Facebook too. So I guess if you don't follow me on Twitter or Facebook, uh, I don't know if I don't know if you. If you tweet or if you have uh, Facebook, but uh, but I would do that, okay? Okay, guys, so there's some news. There is some news to talk about in regards to all things Stephen King that I definitely want to get to. So uh, um, last month, the month before that, it seems like forever ago at this point, but... The trailer dropped for It Chapter 2. Now, for those of you who are tuning in for the first time or this is, um, you're still relatively new to the Stephen King cast and um, you're just kind of doing it when these episodes come out and haven't been going through the back catalog of this particular podcast. If you want my thoughts on 2017's It adaptation, there's a two-part review waiting for you. I strongly recommend that you check it out. Make a long story short, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed um, what Andy Muschietti did with Stephen King's, uh, well, which it was, it, was his it was the gateway drug for me into the world of Stephen King. Um, it's my first Stephen King book. It's my, the most potent Stephen King book for me. It's the one that means everything. I think that it's his masterpiece. Well, close to being his masterpiece if that one scene wasn't in it. Um, but no, I, I, I really enjoyed the, the movie. I've been waiting in anticipation for uh, the, the, the trailer to drop for the second one. And boy, did it drop. I thought it was such a cool decision to basically just give us the entire Mrs. Kirsch scene. I mean, not the entire, but by really taking this iconic scene from the book and just showing us this chunk of it and having us sit there for this chunk of it and not immediately say that it's it chapter two and you know just letting it play out and, and letting the, the dread build. It's a bold, confident decision and it just breaks the monotony of trailers, right? You know, because trailers have that feeling of a trailer and this feels different by just letting the scene be the scene. And 
it, it, it's just done so well from like, and one thing that I love is just when um, Mrs. Kirsch just smiles and is staring at Bev and not saying or doing anything, just staring at her. And it's uncomfortable and it goes on for like four beats too long. Um, and then it, it, she, she, she snaps out of it um, right when it might kind of border into like satire um, timing, but it, uh, no, uh, ugh. and just like the, the out of frame, like kind of dancing in, in the background, how Pennywise just having a grand old time, uh, just being able to mess with, uh, with Bev, it, it, that whole scene, it just shows me that he got it and he nailed it again. And then the quick cuts that we get, uh, to the losers as adults, they, they look exactly like I had hoped they'd look. I am totally, like, I cannot wait to see Bill Hader in action here. As you know, listening to not just my review of the, the movie, um, but if you listen to my four part review, was it four parts? I don't remember at this point. Let's just say it's a four part review of the book. Okay. If you want like all of my thoughts on it, there are four hour plus long episodes for you to, to dive into um, that I strongly recommend that you check out. Um, I believe that Richie is an incredibly important character in the works of Stephen King. Uh, you know, he is not just the jokester. He is a leader of the losers. Um, if Bill is, is taken out of commission. It's Richie that steps into the leadership role. He's a reluctant leader, but a leader nevertheless. Um, and Bill Hader has that in spades. He is a... He really... He could be a great Eddie if they kind of age Eddie up a little bit. Um, he could be a great Larry. Uh, he can be a great... Uh, and he's going to be a great Richie. I have no doubt... Um, so I'm, I'm totally into that casting. James McAvoy, fully into it. Jessica Chastain, of course, fully into that. Um, you know, I was really hoping that she was going to be cast as Bev. Then she got cast as Bev. I was over the moon. So I'm very excited for this cast. Uh, it looks great. It looks really, really good. And it looks like there's some scenes at a carnival, which is new and it's fresh. And I think that it, it fits. Um, I know that the Adrian Mellon stuff is in there. I think that that is an important piece that was missing from the uh, 1990 ABC TV miniseries. Of course, I understand why it wasn't in there, but I think that thematically it really speaks to the horrors of the town itself without you know having the horrors always be the clown. So I, I, I know that people had wanted an episode completely devoted to the It Chapter 2 trailer, but I don't really know what else to say other than I think that the trailer looks awesome and I can't wait for this movie. Once the movie comes out, of course, you're going to get all of my thoughts and then some, um, but no, I, I just, I, I, I can't wait. I, I can't wait for that movie and I really like what they did with the trailer. Um, and then we have some other Stephen King adaptation news. Um, and this is, I'm going to just read this from the LA Times. Stephen King fantasy tale, The Eyes of the Dragon, is headed to Hulu. Yeah, another Stephen King novel is headed to the screen. Hulu is adapting King's fantasy novel, The Eyes of the Dragon, with Studio Fox 21. 
The pilot episode, Deadline Reports, will be written by Seth Graham Smith, author of the novels Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter and producer of films including It and Child's Play. Graham Smith will be the showrunner for the Plan series. The Eyes of the Dragon was originally published in 1984 by a small press created blah, blah, blah. Okay, um... Graham Smith told Deadline he was excited to be working on the adaptation. The goal for the series is to feel unlike any King Stephen King adaptation before with this rich underlying source material and the only true fantasy book he wrote that has kings and swords and princesses. We will honor the spirit of the book and the legacy. Um, Okay. I don't like... Eyes of the Dragon, <laughs> very much. I think that it's uh, very uh, thin. I think that it is boring. Um, I'm not totally into it. And I think that this is going to be riding the coattails of Game of Thrones. So I'm, I'm not surprised that it's getting made, but I'm not looking forward to it. Um, it's not my favorite. I think that it's thin. I think it's a very thin novel for Stephen King. I, I just don't know how, like, I don't know how the napkin is going to translate, how well that's going to work in its way into it. Um, I mean, I guess there's some things that will be cool, uh, you know, whenever you can see Flag, you know, and, and Flag uh, being at his most traditional uh, wizardy uh, will, will be kind of neat. Um, but all in all, it, it, I, I, I personally just don't find Eyes of, the, uh, Eyes of the Dragon to be one of his most captivating or his best. Um, you know, I mean, he wrote it for his kids. He wrote it for Peter Straub's kids. It is not designed intentionally to be one of his most complex. And I think the simplicity of the story will uh, lead to a... I mean, if it's adapted as is, I think a pretty bland story. Um, I think that there is not a lot of there, there to Eyes of the Dragon that you can um, rework it in ways which kind of also works against it because then I think that you lose some of the truth of what the story is um, by adding so much onto it. So I don't know. I mean... The moral of the story here is I'm not overly excited for Eyes of the Dragon, but I will tune in um, and give more informed thoughts once um, once the, the adaptation does arrive. Okay, so that is uh, Eyes of the Dragon. But let's talk about something that I am interested in, and that is the Doctor Sleep trailer. So... Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, the trailer dropped for Warner Brothers' adaptation of Stephen King's sequel to his famous novel and the even more famous movie version of the novel, The Shining. So, Doctor Sleep. Before I get any farther into the the my thoughts on the trailer, Doctor Sleep is a very I don't even want to say divisive because there, there, there doesn't seem to be a second camp. Most people just don't seem to like Dr. Sleep, and I want to dispel that. I just want to let anyone know that's listening to this for the first time that has not heard my thoughts on Dr. Sleep that 
I am pretty pro Dr. Sleep in my household. When I first read it, however, I was kind of down on it. And partially that was because Stephen King had hyped it up as one of the scariest things that he had written in some time. I don't think that it's scary. Um, but with that said, I don't think that that's a fault of the novel. Now, when it comes to Dr. Sleep, because it is a sequel to The Shining that presents its own set of challenges when it comes to intaking that story. Immediately, Stephen King is almost setting himself up for failure because uh, there is instant criticism of the novel that if he leans into The Shining, then we could be facing a Star Wars The Force Awakens scenario, which is basically just a rehash of the the original thing that we liked so much, right? Or he could go, you know, what he did, um, which is he did the opposite of what he did with The Shining, and then people dislike it for that. Um, so it, he's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, but I, for one, uh, really appreciate his his decision making when he crafted this particular story because and if you have not listened to my review of Dr. Sleep you probably should you should read Dr. Sleep read Dr. Sleep first then listen to my review but the way that I summarize it uh, Dr. Sleep is that it zigs where the shining zags purposefully so the the shining is a very claustrophobic tale about three characters stuck in one centralized location all right indoors uh dr sleep however takes place with many more characters um spread out over the entirety of the united states so that it, it's more open in nature the, the setting is completely different and the threats within the story um, are, are not localized to one particular location. So that is different. Uh, the, the Shining deals with the, um, the implosion of a family unit. Okay, and Dr. Sleep deals with the uh, reformation of a family and the coming together of a family unit. Uh, the Shining was about one man's alcoholism. Dr. Sleep is about one man's conquering of addiction. So one is about the destructive nature of addiction and the other one and Dr. Sleep is about the, 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 the triumph over that addiction. Uh, the Shining is about uh, these inhuman monstrous ghosts and the villains of Dr. Sleep, um, they have motivation, they have heartbreak, they um, have their own wants and desires and their own needs. They're, they're not, they are inhuman in their own ways, but they do have characterization. Um, and they, there are, at times, they are pitiful. Uh, so that is another um, thing that is, that is zigging where the, the shining zagged. Um, and, and, and there's many examples of this. And it, it functions as a, a shadow to the shining. And it works in tandem with The Shining, and it's not a retelling of the story that was in The Shining. It, it, it truly takes characters and story, and it does its own thing with it. So that is to just preface my thoughts on the trailer for Dr. Sleep, that just 
if you have heard something negative about the book Dr. Sleep, or even if you did not like Dr. Sleep when you first read it, please listen to my review. Please read it again for a second time or for the first time and um, see if you can come to it from another perspective. Because when I did, I got a lot out of it because... Um, unlike Eyes of the Dragon, there's a lot of there, there to Dr. Sleep. Okay. So I heard that Dr. Sleep, the trailer, um, had come out and immediately the first image is Ewan McGregor sitting in a, um, in a bedroom by himself. And immediately I was hooked. Okay. It had, it it was... It was a a definite visual signifier that Mike Flanagan was directing this because he has a very specific look. Um, He's very precise. He's very deliberate. um, And he he brings a a wonderful blend of humanistic um, reactions and interactions that are both very genuine while being stylistic at the same time. And I really appreciate about that. And that particular quality was on display in this trailer. So after watching Gerald's Game, and especially after watching The Haunting of Hill House, when I heard that he was doing Dr. Sleep, I was all in. And nothing about this trailer has um, lowered my expectations. If anything, my expectations have, um, have raised. I think it's a really, really well done trailer. And if you don't know that it is a uh, sequel to The Shining when it says Red Rum, that's a really cool way to get you in. Um, no, I'm I'm totally into it. I think that Ewan McGregor having him as as an adult Danny, um, I wasn't quite sure about that at first when he was first cast. But watching him, uh, just watching it, and not that Danny is doing much in this trailer, but watching him is uh i'm getting really really excited in particular there's a scene when he's talking to abra and uh oh my god it's i i really really like the decision whether it's michael mike flanagan's decision um as a director of an actor or if it's something that ewan mcgregor brought but when you know she says something like this this power like is it magic and he says i don't know about magic I always called it the shining. The way he says it, there's a lot of emotions going on with him in that moment. Like he kind of leans in for a second, you know, he, he leans into her to say it. Um, there's almost a conspiratorial nature to it, but not in a very dangerous way. It's like he's sharing a secret. Like he finally gets to share a secret. Um, it, 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 it's, it's not, it's not a majorly dramatic line reading, but it's a very truthful line reading. I was really into it. And I can't tell you why, but that is my biggest takeaway, uh, was hearing him say, you know, like, I, I was I was called The Shining. Like, he, he's just, he's excited to talk to another human being about this ability. And he doesn't have that 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 chance to do so with anyone else since Dick Holleran. And even now we're operating within the, the, the rules of the Kubrick version, which is something else that I got to talk about. So I should have known when Warner Brothers greenlit a sequel to The Shining that, of course, they were going to play up the iconography and the of Kubrick's The Shining. I don't know why I didn't realize that they were going to do that. Maybe I thought it was going to be sort of off limits or too reverential. But in the, in this world that we live in of nostalgia and remakes and yeah, of course they're going to play that up. And the fact that it's center stage in the trailer, that 
it, it was actually kind of like a like I I needed to hit myself like how could I not have have realized that? And with that said, I think that that's an incredible choice. It, that yes, he should be leaning into that because the, the 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 Shining is one of the greatest movies made of all time. And I know that there are some people listening to this because it is a Stephen King podcast, and they're gonna they're gonna have Stephen King's side on this that. Stephen King famously does not like Kubrick's version, which is even more incredible that this movie is being made using the iconography from the the Kubrick version. And I know that there are fans out there that just ride with Stephen King and they they, they don't agree with my interpretation and many people's interpretation that Kubrick's version is the the better. But it, it also allows those of us who have read Dr. Sleep, we're in a unique position because we're not quite sure what's going to happen with this movie because at the end of The Shining, the Overlook is still there. Um, whereas in The Shining, the novel, the Overlook explodes. And that changes the course of, spoiler alert, for Dr. Sleep. But this does allow for the Overlook to be in the movie where it was not allowed to be in the book. Um so I mean, there, there's nothing to say that the, the the Overlook couldn't have burned down in the in the years between the original movie and this movie. That could have happened. So, um, you know, or, or it could have been abandoned. I don't know. But the idea of the characters going to the Overlook, um, I, I I I do like that idea because in my review of Doctor Sleep, I did posit that I, I wish that there was more of a fantastical element in the conclusion of the, the, the novel that if there was some sort of, um, ghostly version of the overlook that Danny lured the, uh, the true not to where he actually goes to the, 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 like, well, he does go to the location of the, the horrors of his childhood, but if that, it was still, if it was still standing and he had to enter it, um, and use it to his advantage, I think that that would have been um, very, very powerful. And we have that opportunity here, um, to conquer the, uh, the, the ghosts and monsters of his adulthood. He is going to go back into, uh, his past and, um, and come truly face to face with the, the, the monsters of, of his childhood. So I, I think that, the, that there is a lot of potential with that. Um, and I'm very, very excited about, uh, a Mike Flanagan directed Dr. Sleep movie that melds the best elements of both the book Dr. Sleep with the Kubrick version of, uh, of, of, of the adaptation. So I'm, I'm pumped. I am pumped for Dr. Sleep. And just hearing the music was great, um, seeing the rug, and and knowing that Michael Flanagan recreated a lot of these famous scenes. The, the In the trailer, there's the shot of the blood coming out of the, the elevators, and that is the only um, uh, footage from the original Shining. Everything else was created by Mike Flanagan. The dude knows what he's doing. He is a, a master behind the camera, and I'm glad that he has this opportunity to really display his talents on the big screen with big IP. Um, this it ha- has the potential to, to get a lot of butts in the seats because a sequel to The Shining, um, that's going to be a big draw, and especially seeing as how they're, they're really selling the Overlook, the rug, the twins, the the, the tricycle, the 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 bathtub, um, the the blood out of the elevator, the the um, the Jack Torrance uh, 
famous movie poster where he's looking through the the the, the crack in the the bathroom door, um, and just to have Danny look through that himself, um, and I'm sure it's like a ghostly like vision uh, version and and not actually looking at the he's not I don't think that that takes place in the overlook I think that that's some sort of astral plane sort of uh, situation regardless um, I think a lot of people are going to come out to see this and for nothing else I'm glad that they get to see Mike Flanagan's displays um, uh, of, of talent all right and in uh, last but not least uh, movie news uh, we have more information on the CBS All Access Josh Boone adaptation of The Stand. Um, so, the, the last week we started to get some news about the casting and what that might look like. So, here is what has been reported thus far Stu Redman, it looks like it's going to be James Mardston. Um, and then we have possibly Greg Kinnear playing Glenn Bateman. Odessa Young um, playing Franny Goldsmith, Henry Zaga as Nick Andros, um, Amber Heard as Nadine Cross, and Whoopi Goldberg as Mother Abigail. So that is the speculation at the moment, and um, I have mixed feelings about some of this. I think James Mardston is really good. I think he's a really... The, Stu needs to be likable, first and foremost. He's he's he he's a guy that everyone feels comfortable being around. He's not the most outgoing person, but he does his presence provides comfort to others. I think that James Marston is able to do that. He's an incredibly likable um, presence on the screen. He's not my first choice, but I don't have complaints with that choice at all. Amber Heard, okay, fine. Uh, I think that she'll do a good job. Um, again, not my first choice, but I'm not going to complain. Uh, I don't know who Odessa Young is. I've never seen her in anything, so I can't make any judgments. Greg Kinnear is not what I would have expected, but for anyone listening, I don't know if you guys listened to my three-part review of the Jonathan Mayberry, uh, Pine Deep trilogy books, but I'm a huge Greg Kinnear fan, huge Greg Kinnear. And the reason I bring it up is because the main character in, uh, those books was modeled after Greg Kinnear. Um, and I'm a big fan of Greg Kinnear going back to talk soup days. Um, and I think that he, he has an intelligence, he has a wryness about him. He has a warmth, a sense of humor. Um, and I, I, I think that he's at this point in his career where, he, where he's transitioning into that, that, that sort of elder statesman type of role. I think that he'll do well in it. I think he's probably a little young for the, the, uh, the Glenn Bateman role. But then again, I've also saw some fan sites, you know, casting it in, in, in younger actors. Um, like, uh, why can't I think of Steve Carell? Like someone posited Steve Carell as being a good, um, uh, Stu, uh, Glenn Bateman. And I can, I can see that. So again, it's, I don't think he needs to be a, a retired associate professor of sociology. He could just be a, a professor of sociology, um, who hasn't retired, but had to not work anymore because the world ended. Right. So as long as you have someone that is wise, um, someone that does understand sociology, then I think that, uh, you have that character. 
So I'm excited about that. I think that we all have um, uh, Ray Wise. Was it Ray? I don't think I'm right. I'm not right about that. Ray Winston? Ray is going to bother me. My favorite Martian. The actor who played my favorite Martian. Um, He played uh, um, Glenn in the uh, original ABC TV miniseries. And, of course, he he was older at that point. And I think that that did help the image of Glenn... Great, great casting, by the way. Um, and so I think that that is the idea of the age that we have. Regardless, I do think that Greg Kinnear will do a good job. I don't know who Henry Zaga is. And Whoopi Goldberg, I'm not not into that casting. That kind of seems very, uh, I don't want to say gimmicky, but um, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's good for Whoopi because, I mean, what was the last movie that Whoopi Goldberg was in? You know, she hasn't really seemed to, to flex her acting muscles in quite some time. So maybe this is the kind of role that she needs to sink her teeth into to remind all of us that, you know, before she was, you know, the uh, a host on The View, you know, she was someone that, you know, was a draw at the box office. Um, she was a big part of the 90s. And, you know, actually, now that now that I say it, it would be it would be good to see her in that again young so they're definitely gonna have to age her up um and i'm not truly excited about the 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 prospect of a of Whoopi playing super old that that i I, for whatever reason i'm just thinking that that's going to come off as cartoonish um maybe it won't maybe she'll just knock it out of the ballpark um but that's that's the casting as it is right now Uh, obviously missing from this cast list is flag who are they going to get to play Randall Flagg is going to be the big question here. And there are other characters, obviously, that need to get um, cast. Harold, Lloyd, Tom Cullen. Um, and that's going to be really interesting, how they're going to portray the Tom Cullen character. Um, so there, Larry. Larry is huge. It's a huge one to cast. Uh, so there are many, many... Um, characters that that still need to to be cast here so stay tuned to the Stephen King cast to find out when I uh, when we have casting for this Stephen King adaptation but I'm excited about it and I will probably get um, CBS all access okay now it's time for me to talk about Nosferatu which is not Stephen King but it is Joe Hill Joe Hill is the son of Stephen King I just re-released my review of Nosferatu on on my feed okay so, when Nosferatu was announced, I had an idea that I would review each of the episodes weekly, much in the way that I reviewed each of the episodes of Castle Rock last summer. And I was excited that I had a summer project and a summer focus, and um, I was pumped. I was really, really pumped. And then I sat down to watch the first episode, and it was apparent to me within 15 minutes that I would not be reviewing Nosferatu week by week on the podcast. And I'm sorry, guys, I wanted to do it, but my time is also limited and um, it's been hard for me to even put this episode out. I start, this is now a Tuesday as I record this particular section of the podcast. I started recording the podcast on Saturday Um, that's how little time I have to actually get the podcasts done now. So to review a show that 
spoiler alert for the rest of this episode, I just didn't like very much. Um, means that I would have to commit time that I don't have a lot of to um, watching a product that I, I I personally just don't want to invest that much time in. So let me let me talk about why um, it did not click with me. Um, so for one, I really enjoyed Nosferatu the book. I I, I enjoyed it, um, and I think that there is something to be said about. Taking a, a um, just taking a, a, a book and stretching it out unnecessarily. Um, I, and I, I think that doing it season by season this way is going to just it stretch it out too thin, um, which I see happening here. And I think that we're losing some of the tension and we're allowing more explanation, which makes it the, the scary scenes less scary. Um, and there's something about Joe Hill's writing which works really well on a comic book page and on the, uh, you know, uh, within a novel and a short story. He's very, very visual. He, he has a very fantastic side of his writing. And I don't think that that's being translated very well on this show. Um, and for me personally, listening to the accents on the show... I cannot devote myself to however many episodes there are of this to me listening to the accents on the show, which makes me appreciate Chernobyl all the much more. If you guys have not watched Chernobyl on HBO, I strongly recommend it. And one of the um, the aspects of the show that have been that has been talked about a lot is the fact that despite the the, the fact that it's taking place in Russia. No one has a Russian accent, all right? Everyone has whatever the accent is that they speak normally, right? So Jared Harris, a British actor, speaks with a British accent. And the reason is the showrunner did not want the affectations of an accent to get in the way of the performances and the truth of the story and the truth of the emotions coming out of the story. And I really admire that. And I wish that the same decision was made with uh, Nosferatu. Because in this story, it takes place in Haverhill, Massachusetts. And spoiler alert. No, it's not even a spoiler alert. But okay, here, I live in New England. Okay. Um, as I am recording this, I am recording it in a state... I'm recording it in Massachusetts, okay? Um, I do not have this accent. Not everybody in this state has that accent. Um, and the fact that every time there is a movie or a television show that takes place in Massachusetts and everyone has that accent, it drives me up the wall, which isn't to say that people in Massachusetts don't have accents because some do. Some do. But it is a very hard accent to pull off Okay, and if someone is not from a particular geographic region within the state, and they don't talk this way normally, 
anytime someone tries to put on this accent, it never sounds right and it always gets in the way of the performance. It's always too much. And for me personally, and this could just be me and has nothing to do with the show, but it takes me out. It throws a wall between me and enjoying it because there's something that's just inauthentic about it in their attempt to craft an authentic tale within this particular town in Massachusetts. Okay, that's my rant on the accent. Okay, um, but there's decisions that are made that I think um, take away from the story, aside from the accents. One of them is to age Vic up a little bit, okay? She's older in the adaptation than she was in the books. Um, and I think that that takes away from the loss of innocence that comes from her encounter with Charlie Manx, which has not happened on the show yet. Um, but because she was more of a child, I think that she was like in the middle school, junior high um, age range, as opposed to like a, trying to leave this town and go to college. That I don't think that that, if I remember correctly, that that was not a part of the story. And I, I think that it really takes away from just the... The themes here of this 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 man who is preying on children and existing and using these childhood images and iconography and themes and wants and desires to remain young um, and just feeding off of the souls of children and being beaten as a when being beaten by a child um, years ago and then. Um, almost breaking that child's spirit in the process. That, to me, is important. And so to age her up and to switch out a bicycle for a dirt bike, um, again, I think that that also, the, the bike is representative of the innocence of childhood. Um, and, and the dirt bike just doesn't function the same way. So I wasn't into that. Um and then there, there's these storytelling decisions that I think, well, one of the things that I liked about the, the novel was the open road nature of it and that it, it took place across different locations within the United States. And it made, the horror came from you never knew where Charlie was going to come from, where Bing was going to come from, the, the the idea of these characters finally colliding with one another. Um, it really just showed how vast this country is. And the show does away with all of that, and it creates um, storytelling coincidences and conveniences that take away from the, 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 the richness and the complexities and the... the almost the, the randomness of the of, of character interactions. So here is an example. Maggie. Um, Maggie is a character who has her inscape and she exists in Ohio. All right. And she senses Charlie Manx and Vic using the, the, the shorter way finds her way to there. Okay. At this point, Maggie is removed from the story and we are introduced in the story through Vic, right? Not so in the book. Charlie Manx has abducted someone that she is friends with, okay? So right now we are shrinking this world already by drawing her in to, to um, Vic's world even before she has a chance to meet Vic um, 
you know, the, the way that had occurred in the book. All right. So this world that was once larger and full of strangers is now shrinking where everyone is connected. Another example is Bing Partridge, who happens to be the janitor at Vic's school. Um, which again, it's a decision that I do not like. I like the idea that our, 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 our friends and our enemies are people that we have not met yet. Um, in this vast country. Um, but instead, it's everyone knows each other or we're, we're all connected to the same story. Um, I, I just, I did not like that, okay? And in general, guys, um, just I just wasn't into it. It just wasn't for me. Um, I, 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 I think some of the acting was very cheesy. I thought that there was a quality... That was reminiscent of the 90s and not in the best way. Uh, there, there was some effects that they used and some camera angles that they used that reminded me of, of like a, a 90s network television show on Fox on like a, like a Friday night at 8 o'clock. You know, just something, something out of place, a level of cheese that I wasn't expecting there. I mean, the introduction, like the the cred, the opening credits was just very '90s in a very strange way, um, I, and I just uh, I just wasn't into it. I, I wanted to be into it, and I wanted to have a more intelligent conversation around it. Um, but I, I don't want to spend my time just knocking something down that people worked on, um, because that's not that's not fair to everyone that worked on it and it's not fair to anyone that does like the show that wants to tune in to get you know something of a positive review it's just that what i saw didn't inspire me to move on to watch the next episode um i mean i did but i immediately uh kind of tuned out and had it on um you know, in the background, it, just, it, it wasn't, it wasn't for me at that moment. Um, so I, I do apologize guys. I, I did want to like it, but I, I just, uh, I really couldn't get in into Nosferatu. So I am sorry. Um, but with that said, I, I've been saying for a while now, I want to review lock and key. So that is something that I'm going to do. And I hopefully will have an update soon. Um, because I think that I'm going to have some more time coming up where I can actually sit down and bang out some episodes. I miss doing this. I miss recording these episodes. I miss interacting with all you guys. Um, and I know that, you know, you guys miss having this, this podcast in your feed. So I want to get back to that for myself, for you. That's something that I want. So when I start recording more, um, regularly, I will review Something that I like because I don't want all these episodes to be negative. I know the last episode was Pet Cemetery. It was a negative review, and I have a negative review on Nosferatu. Um, I don't really have anything positive to say. With that said, I want to talk about the things that I do like. I love Lock and Key. I want to review Lock and Key. I will be reviewing it, so stay tuned for that. 
Um, and if you have thoughts on Nosferatu, and if you think that I'm wrong, tell me that I'm wrong, and tell me why I'm wrong, and tell me all the reasons why you like Nosferatu, the show, and um, if there's anything cool that's happening that you think that I'm missing, um, or try to convince me to go back to it. Um, go for it. And uh, guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for being patient. I've been trying to get this episode out for a while now, but I've just been struggling. Um, But here it is. And I apologize if the sound has been wonky in this episode. It's because I have uh, recorded it in different rooms on different days. uh, And um, so the, the, the environments have changed. And just thank you in general for for listening to this the, the, this podcast. I can't do it without you. So if you have some time on your hands, feel free to write in to Stephen Kingcast at yahoo.com, leave a review on iTunes, and stick around until next time. Um, you see, I it's been so long. I I think this happened last time. I don't remember how it goes. What do I normally say? I say, um, may you have long days and pleasant nights, and I will see you next time where M-O-O-N spells Stephen Kingcast. <laughs>